Production, production quality, Leon, let's go. All right. <clears throat> Welcome. This will be podcast number five. <clears throat> Have a little coffee. Pike's, Pike's place. start off with it doesn't really I was like I want it I wanted to I couldn't get down here because all the weather they had it was just too icy too nasty so I had to cancel my reservation but like as a co-angler it's like you're kind of at the mercy of your boater and as a co-angler you basically know what you're gonna throw you know all your finesse type stuff unless someone's wrecking them on like a crankbait or something but no so I mean, when, when I prepare, when I prepare for a tournament, first thing I do is I look at history of what's been going on, how people catch them down there. You know, I watch all the videos on YouTube, things like that. And then I go look at Google Earth and I kind of use Google Earth along with like Navionics and stuff. And I kind of just go back and forth. And that right there, was as I described on the last podcast a very um, solid competitive fisherman by the name of Chris Fiore and uh, I'm going to include Chris uh, I'm going to just pull the clips out of practice that were of me and Chris on the water my name is DL Stiffarm <clears throat> Excuse me. My name is DL Stiffarm, and I'm your host. This is the H2O podcast, filmmaking, competitive bass fishing, fishing in general, life's adventures, and uh, we talk about. A truth that that perhaps um, anglers and fishermen, competitive fishermen, can confirm this kind of stuff. I talked last podcast about how <laughs> fishing a bass tournament, <clears throat> becoming a competitive angler, doing the things that uh, put us out on a boat, catching fish all day. Uh, which either we're paying quite a bit for the opportunity and the luxury to do so, 
Or there's a few, very few, of us who can make a little money and we can stay on the water and utilize whatever combination of skills we have to generate income and keep ourselves in a position to compete and win tournaments. Every bass fisherman I know wants to compete at the highest level. Like, like you get, you work all this way to get here, and if it doesn't happen, then you got to start all over again. And then it gets to the point where, you know, funds start running out, other things you need to do to start. Got a lot of bait right there, <laughs> and you start, and you got a lot of things that you know you got to eventually start, you know, making more money, making bills and stuff like that. And then you think in your mind, you know, you, the word quit comes in your mind, and I just think to myself, I mean. Like when I, th I can't even, I can't even speak the words, man, of saying, you know, like I'm not gonna fish next year. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna continue. This is the, one. I've never chased anything harder than this, and I never will. Every bass fisherman I know wants to compete at the highest level. Um, it's something about testing yourself so that you can learn the factors that um, make up challenging yourself at the highest level. It's the lakes, the type of fish, usually black bass, largemouth, but also smallmouth. <clears throat> There's something that is difficult for people to understand. Um, bass fishing itself is not something that uh, just came up in this lifetime. Um, right now in the United States, if you look at, uh, there's a website called uh, Mental Floss, and they pick up some statistics and put them together into some unique articles. Um, I don't really read them that much, and to be honest with you, I just found this article pretty interesting, so I pulled it out of there. Um, but they talk about bass fishing and that when the original bass fishing um, concept came up, it was based on watching televised basketball. Um, one of the first tournaments was held on Beaver Lake in Arkansas a few months, kind of after what we're seeing on television right now. The NCAA championships provide drama and a venue for um, a lot of people to cheer for their region, their school, um, their players. And that concept was so strong that they created the Bass Master Classic. And that Bassmaster Classic now includes a series of uh, anglers in professional leagues that compete for a spot in that classic. Annually, it's probably one of the Super Bowls of bass fishing, the World Series of bass fishing, the um, Bassmaster Classic of bass fishing is what it is. And the Bassmaster Classic always features, you know, a lot of really interesting drama. Um, it features the anglers, not only techniques, abilities, but the ability for them to showcase themselves. Um, products can be showcased there. And it, it is always kind of, back when I was younger, you could watch it, you know, in the winter. 
when fishing really wasn't going strong out here in Montana, we were still waiting for the lakes to thaw out, and you were watching guys catch bass down in places like Falcon Lake or Gunnersville. I, f I fish Gunnersville, by the way. Uh, thank you to Reed Biggers. Uh, shout out to Reed Biggers in Rome, Georgia. He owns a, uh, a financial institution up there, a bank, uh, which uh, Reed is a, He's a great fisherman, and uh, I don't know much about his bank, to be honest with you, but uh, if he conducts himself uh, in his bank like he does on the water, he's an extremely high-integrity guy. Reed uh, took me out on Gunnersville, and we fished a little local um, bass tournament down there, or fished with some guys, I can't remember what. We fished there, we fished at a place called uh, Lake Weiss, or Weiss Lake, I think it is, between Alabama and Georgia as well. And uh, Reed has a little pond in front of his house that I caught a giant bass in as well one day when I was down there. But um, the system of fishing and competitive fishing has been going on now for a while, um, over 50 years. Uh, it's the fourth most popular sport in the country. Um, the amount of people who fish for sport in America right now is about 40 million, um, and it outnumbers all of the country's golf and tennis clubs. Um, it is one of every, one of 30 to 50% of these guys all focus on largemouth or black bass. Keep it up one more minute. Keep it up, you're so great. Standing, talking. You got me checkmate. My two and thing is, I'm not fishing against, you know, 50 other guys this week. You know, I'm fishing. You're always fishing against the fish. Like, I mean, people are like, oh, I gotta be. No, no. You just gotta be better at figuring it out. But you're still competing against the fish, man. It's just, it's not all that easy. And it's like, it's so it is a game fish and there's a country full of game fishermen, and the number one fish that these game fishermen are going after are bass, largemouth and smallmouth. Um, when you think about a tournament and how many uh, people are fishing and trying to actually fish competitively. Now, I w bet I have met, because I live in the Northwest, <clears throat> I've probably experienced 50 to 75% of the guys that I've ever had this conversation with. And why we have this conversation is, is kind of beyond me as well. But somebody will come up and say something to this effect. I sure wish I could fish for a living. Or look at how that guy gets to fish for a living. Or look at this job fishing for a living. Or whatever. Well, the guys that are actually fishing for a living, those guys are commercial fishermen, like up in Alaska. Or they're guides. And uh, a lot of time guides have to work for somebody who has boats and the license and all that other stuff. So they're not making a ton of money. Um, in some states, you know, they provide guides with the opportunity to go out and just guide whoever it is. When I went to, uh, I used to uh, do board meetings where I'd present uh, down in Dallas, Texas back when I was younger and I did business uh, to feed myself and pay the rent. 
And there was, I went out to, every year I'd go out to a place called Lake Fork, and this guy Jeremy had a little um, guide business out there. And so I'd always get him to guide me for a day, and then I'd rent a boat. There was a, uh, you know, having, so he was, he had this great beard and he had these bass boats. He'd let you rent them out there. And at Lake Fork, you can go out and really catch some huge bass, to me, from being from Montana. I mean, a five, six pounder in Montana is huge. Uh, eight pounds is our state record, eight something, eight, I don't know what. Somewhere in the eight pound range. Um, but if you look at bass tournaments from across the country and the influence that catching bass has on places like YouTube and Bass Master Magazine and bass fishing on ESPN and uh, all of these things drove a lot of people to uh, want to be a fisherman or to consider that maybe they could make money at fishing. Uh, competitive bass fishing, like fishing like Kevin Van Dam out of the front of the boat and catching enough bass to win enough checks to make yourself a million dollars. Um, and then sponsorships came along pretty strong in the 80s and 90s. And these guys were making a million dollars and more than that because they had a venue. They had all of these guys from across the country and Bassmaster had figured it out early. They'd figured out that if they packaged these fishermen in a way where people could really look at how they were catching fish, where they were catching them, what they were using, the boats they were driving, the fish finders, the um, advancement in lines, hooks, terminal gear, you know, baits, all those things. They had a venue and there were you have a country full of guys who like to fish and hunt. In this country we live in, fishing is very, very popular. Competitive fishing is extremely popular. In fact, I found over at Iowa State University, thank you to Andrea Lynn Sylvia. She, in 2019, uh, wrote a graduate thesis and her dissertation on evaluating tournament angling impacts on a largemouth bass population using mark recapture data, which it's a really interesting article and um, I'm not gonna really go through all of it. I do respect though, when somebody actually confirms something because most of what people in life are doing is they're struggling with the questions they have about life and where they're at, what this means and uh, they don't really ever, um, they don't ever really have the ability to gain trust and confidence and become, you know, authentic. It's a, it's a power. I tell people all the time in order for guys like Chris Fiore to be powerful, which he is, and I'll describe to you in ways that he is powerful and you are not. In order for someone to be powerful like Chris, there has to be weakness. It is necessary. It must happen. We all find ourselves in a moment of weakness, in a time when we're weak. We're born on a planet as small, fleshy creatures we call babies. We have no idea where they're at, what's happening, but people take care of them. And we all survive somehow.
Now, if I told you when you first got here as a baby, look, you're going to have to get up and go, find something to eat, find a place to stay, <laughs> get yourself, uh, uh, you know, some clothes and all this other stuff. When you were born, you probably wouldn't be running around and like you do now. So Andrea went through and she did research on bass tournaments and they tagged fish and they looked at bass behavior uh, as competitive anglers caught and released these fish. Um, and so they utilized a lake uh, in Iowa. And I'm not going to get into the, into the research and all these other things because if you guys want to read this thing, you can find it. It's out there on the internet, like I said. Pretty much in this day and age, the reason that bass fishing is not about just getting all the information and equipment and getting on the lake and then boom, you win the tournament. I'm going to talk to you after we listen to Chris. And I'm going to explain to you guys something about life and why some people have the ability to adapt and then find what we consider success. And those people who live in some level of emotional fear or desire, and I'm talking about you, I know you think you don't, Everybody tells me I'm hardcore, I'm a hard charger, I get all this done, I feed myself, I take care of da la 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 la. I know, I know, I know, human. A bass fisherman knows something else, and we're gonna talk about that after we hear from Chris. Just, it's not all that easy. And it's like in soccer, like I said, I told you I played soccer. I quit soccer because it was too easy. People weren't good enough for me. Really? Um, we, yeah, you didn't tell me, you didn't know, tell me you quit soccer. Yeah, I played soccer and uh, seriously, I mean, one day we won, we won our last, we won the final championship. I was 13 years old or something and we won the championship and it was eight to nothing. And I turned, I looked at my mom and I said, do I have to keep playing? And, uh, she was like, not. Yeah, no, you guys saw the Liverpool. Andrea went out and she did some really good research. For example, um, if you look at how many bass tournaments there are in the country in 2019, uh, she documents that there are upwards of 40,000 bass tournaments held in the United States, and that was in 2012. So that's almost 10 years ago. With the growth in bass fishing, the popularity, the amount of leagues that have expanded out there, and the amount of of guys in our country who have retired or near retirement or have gotten to that age where they can breathe a little bit. You know, those guys that, that worked hard and, um, you know, busted their ass their entire lives uh, to get to a place where they could breathe and be authentic. Now I'll tell you guys, I've been there. I've burned out pretty quickly because the business world just doesn't have enough fish in it. And when I got a chance to practice with Chris Fiore, I got a chance to feel what it's like to be with somebody who is, understands themselves, 
who has a balance between the mind and instinct that allows him to live in truth, trust, confidence, hard charging. Now, as Andrea Lynn Sylvia can tell us, largemouth bass fishing is complex. The amount of data that was required for her to, that was required for her to catch and find fish, tag them, have them be in a lake, follow them around for a year to get her graduate thesis done um, is something that uh, shows you that she is an individual who does not have a preemptive idea of what's gonna happen and have to act out of it. When Chris talked about tournament bass fishing and about confidence and what people think it is and what they don't think it is and who fishes locally and what people believe, they have a very strong misunderstanding of bass fishing and of bass fishermen. Um, if data and electronics was all it took this would not be a competitive sport. And I know some of you are like, well, it's not a sport because you know, you're not in the weight room. It is, it is very, very competitive and it is very grueling. Um, it, it requires um, a multitude of skills, but the mental part is probably where you find the difference between successful anglers and successful people and everything in life in general. Um, if you want to operate and work solely out of your mind, you're going to find yourself facing challenges, losing friends, um, confused, and at times uh, frustrated, confrontational, angry. See it all around me all the time. I see people that want to know something. They want to know someone. They want to have assurances. I've heard people talk about getting into relationships, uh, men and women, but but females more often. Guys just jump right in often and. and uh, Females, uh, they believe that their mind can collect all the data and understand what's going on. and <clears throat> They can select the right guy or the right situation or the right place or the right website or the right whatever. You don't, I don't see, unfortunately, because I know women are, are very, very good fisher men, fisher women, fisher people. I know they're just as good as men, but I don't see them on the water as much. 
Maybe because it's not interesting. I've had women tell me that fishing is, is, looks as exciting as watching the grass grow. But when you consider uh, the amount of guys that are on the water, and those guys that actually push themselves on the water and how they eventually become, their trust is not built out of some blind faith. That's what people think it is. When they hear it, they're like, you just have to trust. You have to, you know, no. There's no such thing as blind faith. If you live in any kind of blind faith, then you are lying to yourself. You are telling yourself that if I trust something outside of myself that I've never seen, heard, touched, tasted, smell, any of that stuff that's just been told to me that was written down somewhere. That's fine. But you're lying to yourself. Now, it's not going to change what happens. Because as a bass fisherman will tell you, as every bass fisherman that tells you that says, I'm going to go out today and win this tournament, and he does not, or she does not, they will tell you that life will take care of life. Every good fisherman will tell you, to keep fishing. Just keep fishing. Don't think about what you're gonna do. Don't let your mind get involved with what it wants to have happen or is afraid is gonna happen because that's what people do. So I've watched young ladies walk around and tell me they've observed this man or they've been watching him for a while and they have its assurances. The guy they were looking at, first of all, they acted prematurely. They were afraid that maybe their interest or their desire or their need to have companionship or get married or have children or whatever it is, whatever the motivating factor is, they act prematurely. And they start operating through projections. I'm going to figure out the best way to introduce myself, to interact, to check off a checklist of rights and wrongs. It's all, it's all acted out before anything happens. Life doesn't ever happen. And then when it doesn't work out, they don't trust themselves. And they don't trust men. And sometimes it's a man. Believe you me, I know men who are just the same way. They're like, I was in this relationship and I thought this was this, I thought she was this, I thought that was that, that was just, that's just expectation. <laughs> Coupled with your projection. Because you wanted something. You wanted to win. You wanted to succeed. You wanted to be happy. You wanted it to be wherever it was going. And you acted prematurely because you were afraid. And you thought life wasn't going to work out unless you selected the right one. Fast fishermen learn that if you live through projection, I'm going to go out to this spot, I'm going to catch this size of fish, and I'm going to cycle through and catch other ones, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make a bunch of checks, they're going to pay for my tournament entry, my boat, my truck, my gas, all the other stuff, they, like every relationship, are going to fail. A bass fisherman learns one of the most important lessons. Excuse me, that's not always true. <laughs> In my experience, successful bass fishermen 
go through the ability of testing themselves and confirming things for themselves. Like Professor Andrea Silvia, they take the time not to observe from a distance, but to take a risk, to put themselves out there and see how their water works in the rain, in the wind, in the fog, in the morning, in the evening, at night, wherever it may be. They travel to places they've never been before and they put their boat in the water and they fish hard. Chris Fiore will tell you right now that he fished the Toyota series, he fished the TBF series, he's fished bass, he fishes whatever he can get to. He is not afraid. He is not out observing and collecting data and making sure that that's the right one, this is the right situation. This is going to put me into the place I want to be. And then I can trust myself and trust others. Life, ladies and gentlemen, takes care of life. No one is in charge of existence. No one. Once you accept that, then you can utilize the natural data in your mind, coupled with your instincts, coupled with your ability to trust yourself. Day one's over. And in the Northwest Division for mountain boaters, I'm in first place. You're so much deeper when you quit paying charades. Yeah. You act so cool, but underneath you seem afraid. There's something sweet. And you can get going. One of the reasons that bass fishermen are independent and is because they have learned that they can get going. They can adapt. They can change as life changes and not demand that things work out for them. We've all heard it. I didn't know I was getting into this. I didn't know she was gonna be like this. I didn't know he was gonna be like this. I didn't know this, this, that, and the other thing. And anybody that tells you, and I'm gonna tell you right now, anybody that says you take no responsibility, you aren't being accountable, you are not somehow doing the right thing. That's what they want. They're not talking about authentic accountability where a bass fisherman comes up to the stage with no fish in his hands because he's not afraid to stand in front of everybody and say, you know what, today I just didn't get it done. Not because I'm not a great fisherman, I'll kick your ass back on my home lake, but today the fishing gods or whoever is in charge of existence pulled me back so that someone else can have a chance. Not to take something away from me, not to remove my opportunity, not for me to cuss God and to break up with my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my husband or wife or my employer or my government or whatever, because I'm not getting what I want. And then when you're not getting what you want and you can't trust yourself, you try and inspect the next situation, collect all the data, find out who's going on, who's going to lie to you, who's going to tell you the truth. 
who's going to give you the inside doc information. None of that stuff happens. A mature human, which I find in bass fishing all the time, they find ways to show people how to win, no matter how hard it is. They create survival and expand their opportunities based in living in discovery. Natural learning in the environment. They create confidence that goes beyond everyone else you know. Bass fishing in this country, to get to the competitive fishing level, requires a monumental effort. As I told you, it is the number four most popular sport in the country. And not only that, uh, every guy that's out there uh, considers himself to be a pretty good fisherman or a pretty good hunter. <laughs> and I mean, they're not wrong. This country is built on guys that know how to stock game, catch fish, and, and they, don't, they don't make excuses. Uh, the best though, the best are, there's something else. And we're gonna talk about that. I need to change my camera here real quick. I've earned out like a wandering ember. I shone bright and my journey was over. What I sought when I ran was back where I began. No matter the rain, no matter the storm, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. We've opened the gate. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. I think we're going to roll into the next podcast. Uh, the information I have uh, that I'd like to get into, which is um, some of the outcomes of the tournament and uh, how we got to day, what happened on day two, and uh, we day three. This podcast is also a video log over on our YouTube channel, White Clay Films. You can also check out gear, and I'm coming up with, uh, there's some new hats with some cool uh, rogue patches red rogue patches that are being uh, put together right now. We're going to release those to help promote uh, the film work. Um, Equanimity, the nature of competitive bass fishing. That production is our primary film this year, and we're working on that. It will be shot around the U.S. Open, the oldest and largest standalone bass fishing event in the country, really in the world. And it does attract people from all over the world. I've seen guys from... Uh, Australia fishermen are really involved in a lot of competitive bass fishing. I see them all at every league. So um, if you all have an Australian in your league, uh, be very careful because uh, that uh, individual can probably catch fish. Um, but uh, we are going to shoot that film. We're starting it in Montana with the grassroots anglers, and then we'll deliver it up, and we'll shoot the full production um, on Lake Mead in Las Vegas, Nevada. And that's an exciting opportunity. Uh, but we're building into that by filming and fishing, just like we did here at the TBF. So you're getting a chance to see um, some of the competition, the TBF, 
and the competitors here from across the country. These are the top grassroots anglers from your state that fish in the TBF series. And usually if they fish TBF, they fish everything. <laughs> so they're top grassroots anglers, period. Um, so if you look at the vlog, the video log over on White Clay Films, you'll see clips, interviews, tournament action, and weigh-ins. Um, and in this podcast, I want to make it clear. Now, I'm not speaking out of a place of arrogance, and I know it's, it sounds as I listen to myself speak about us living entities on this planet. We're all here experiencing life. You can confirm that right now rather than argue with your mind about where we're at and where we're from and where we're going because none of that is knowable. It's not important. It's important is that I want to make clear that fishermen like myself, this podcast uh, is not superior, nor is it inferior. I'm speaking from a place that most people are unwilling to speak from. From the awareness of this moment, the truth of what I can confirm right now, just like when I'm on the water, the vibrations of light, wind, H2O, combine to create understandings that cannot be taught, that are not learned, that are not figured out. So, rather than live in an illusion of what might be, I like to live in the truth. The truth, my friends, is that you and I are living in answered prayers. Answered prayers. I want to thank you for listening to this episode. The next episode, we will find out who moves on to day three. Uh, what anglers at this event out of the hundred that, that made it here, which one of those are going to make it on to the BFL All-American? Like I said, you got to win and win and win to even get a shot to fish for this thing. And then when you get up there, you're competing against guys who will bring it. And I'm talking like, uh, uh, not, not, not uh, like the cheerleader movie, bring it. Uh, although when I was a kid, you know. I'm going to cut that shit out. Anyway, when you get to the BFL All-American, you've got some of the hardest charging fishermen, outdoorsmen, competitive anglers you're going to find. So, if you're going to go, fish hard. Fish very hard. Very, very hard. Thank you for watching and uh, supporting everything, you guys. I really appreciate anybody that's listened this far. Because if you listen to me this far, you, my friend, are the truth. Life itself expanding on this planet we call Earth. Have a great day. Next podcast coming up next week. 